So many thanks to the praise team and to Deborah and Lynn and Vance for leading us in worship this morning. Our children may leave for children's church. Bye-bye. Before I read the scripture this morning, the, uh, today is Memorial Day, or at least we will celebrate this weekend today and tomorrow as we celebrate Memorial Day, and it's a very solemn time for our nation. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We, we don't pass it to our children in our bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. An author by the name of Tamara Bolton wrote this. <clears throat> she said, this is the day we pay homage to all those who didn't come home. This is not Veterans Day. It is not a celebration. It is a day of solemn contemplation over the cost of our freedom. And then the believer G.K. Chesterton, about the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century rather, wrote this. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. And so this morning we thank the Lord for the men and women that have given the ultimate sacrifice in their lives so that you and I may enjoy the freedoms of this great land. And be reminded again, this is not Veterans Day. Although we celebrate our veterans, this is for the veterans that have given their lives. Also this past week on uh, Monday, a great tragedy there in Uvalde in Texas, and I was watching the news early, um, I think it was Thursday, um, and they interviewed a pastor, a man by the name of W.J. Jimenez, this is a pastor of the First Baptist Church of Brackettsville, Texas, which is just outside of Uvalde, and I was very impressed by what I hear. He was a man that, um, in the simple expression of Scripture, and he quoted Scripture almost extensively, uh, and talked about the comfort that was needed for the families. One of his, their parishioners there were grandparents of a child that was murdered. I am reminded, of course, of what Jesus said. I mentioned it in my prayer in Luke 13, where there were those that questioned the goodness of God. And Jesus himself said, Do you remember the 13 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell? Do you remember those that Pilate had murdered 
and took their blood and mingled it with the sacrifices in Jerusalem, he said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So even Jesus understood the extent of tragedies, but he reminded us that the worst tragedy is to leave this world without knowing Jesus as Savior. I've used that passage a number of times at funerals. And so be reminded that unless we repent, we will perish in a similar fashion. Also this week, uh, on Monday, I think the situation in Texas happened on Tuesday, but in any event, the uh, release of the Southern Baptist Convention's study on sex abuse, on the cover-up that has been going on for a num number of years, uh, that report was released. And uh, in just a couple of weeks, the annual convention will take place in Anaheim, Anaheim California. In 2018, J.D. Greer, who was the, at that point, at that time rather, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, introduced the training about preventing and responding to abuse, and he was primarily the main one. There were others, but primarily the, the main man that uh, uh, initiated the focus on those individuals, male and female, that had been abused over the years. Unfortunately, this uh, report indicted uh, about 700 ministers. And that is extremely, extremely sad. Now, to get a good perspective, and I'm not going to read it this morning, but Dr. Al Mohler, in, uh, on his website, which is albertmohler.com, this past Monday, did uh, have a, a, a very well-written indictment against the convention and against the cover-up. And also, he offered words of hope and encouragement which all pastors should. I've reminded you, and you've heard me say this many times, even the best of men are men at best. Always be reminded of that. And so the, the report can be found online. It's 300 pages long if you care to, to read it, but... Um, along with what's happened in, in the Catholic Church and many other churches. So be reminded of this and pray for the uh, findings and for the convention here in just a couple of weeks. So those uh, of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the Internet, we do welcome you. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been, this is the 10th message, oh, the 11th message, rather, if you're, tr if you're keeping track, but we've been in First Peter now for, for uh, a few weeks, and we started uh, um, two or three weeks ago looking at verses uh, 10 through 12 of First uh, Peter, chapter 1, focusing on diligence to the Word of God. Last week, we started to take a, a sidebar uh, to teach you about the holy angels, and this morning, we will finish and complete that talking about the holy angels. 
Now, true to form, Sunday night when we came, there were a number of questions about, well, what about the demons? And I think I reminded you then on Sunday morning that when we get to 2 Peter 2, we'll talk about the demons. Well, how did the perfect being all of well, a Hey, stay tuned. News at 11. We'll talk about this and preach about it in 2 Peter chapter 2. But this focus this morning is on the Holy angels. So I want us to look at verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves but to us, who, that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So may God bless the reading of his word, and let's prepare to receive the word through prayer. Father, bless your word. It is the only agency that remains in this world that carries with it the eternal significance of your word to us, to save us, to change us, to make us like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Uh, as a matter of introduction, we'll come to this slide here in just a moment. This, uh, this basically is just a, a review of uh, some of the information that we talked about last Sunday. I reminded you then that we are created in a material world. But God did create an immaterial world, and God is spirit. He is part of that immaterial world. Now God transcends into the material world and out of the uh, material into the immaterial. We don't. We don't have that capacity today. I'm not sure we will have that capacity in heaven as well. But be that as it may, be reminded that things or beings that are spirit or invisible were created by the Trinity, and they are limited to us because of God's purposes. In other words, the understanding of how they work and how they operate. Angels, holy angels, and demons, those that are fallen, inhabit this invisible and this spiritual world. We were not designed to comprehend the spiritual world. If I don't say a great deal this morning that you remember, remember that. But we know it exists because the Word of God does give us some uh, insight into this spiritual world. Now, it's not major insight. It's a minor insight, just as this passage, because it covers information that God wants us to know in a cursory manner, not a comprehensive manner. Remember, we are not God. And there are myriads of things that God does not tell us because we can't comprehend them, wouldn't know what to do with them. Now, discussions of angels, I've talked about this before, they've produced a lot of controversy, and through history, this spiritual world has been contorted by uh, Jewish mythology, by Gnostic teaching, by pagan thoughts. And so it's led to a, um, uh, a, uh, uh, 
a myriad rather of unbiblical notions. So, let's define angels as we start through this. Now, last week we talked about a lot of facts and things about uh, angels. We talked about that they were created with moral judgment. It's the last point, last bullet point there. They're created with intelligence. They are highly intelligent. They are invisible. They are messengers of the Trinity. Remember, holy angels. We talked about the classes of angels, approximately 10 to 12 different classes of angels mentioned in the Word of God, and we looked at many of these. And we talked about them being innumerable, and that's the first point. That's because I cut and pasted uh, some of this information. So let's define angels. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence. They don't have physical bodies. Now, the Bible does reference archangels. We talked about that. When they do take bodies, they take human forms. But they are spirit. So most of the time, in fact, this morning, you look about this congregation, there are many, many beautiful women and handsome men, lovely little children that are gifts of God. But there are also multitudes of angels here. And there are also multitudes of demons here. Now we don't see them. We don't hear them. But we know from Scripture they're here. And we'll see this as we start through this passage of Scripture or look at the application of what we have before us this morning. So, let's go to the next slide. Let's talk about guardian angels. Now, it's interesting because there are only a couple of references in Scripture, and again, this comes back to this subjective notion that there are, that, that I'm a believer, and so I have literally thousands or whatever guardian angels that are guarding my life. Well, let's see what the Scripture has to say. So God sends angels to protect his people. And we'll see a couple of instances of that this morning. In Psalm 91, in verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, this is the word of God. Notice it was quoted by the devil to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. So one of the things we learn, and we're not going to obviously uh, teach this morning about Lucifer, about Satan, but one of the things we learn from this is that Satan and the demons know Scripture. In fact, they know Scripture quite a bit better than anybody here this morning. It doesn't change them, but they know it. They have the data, but they've never been transformed. Can't be transformed now. We'll talk about that when we come to demons. Are these guardian angels that are mentioned here in Psalm 91? Now, Psalm 91, this particular phrase applies primarily to Jesus Christ. 
Context is king. When we look at Scripture, when we study Scripture, we must understand that when we're looking at verses 10 through 12 in 1 Peter, how do we interpret that? We interpret it in the light of the first chapter of Peter. Then we interpret it in the light of the entire 1 Peter epistle. Then we interpret it in the light of 2 Peter. Then we interpret it in the light of the New Testament. And then we interpret it in the light of the Old Testament. All of it, this is called biblical theology, all of this comes together so that we understand that there no prophecy of Scripture is given by private interpretation. We would do ourselves a great service if we remember that. So, okay. Now, turn to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at verse, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll draw out what is mentioned in the verse 10. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This was a couple of times. They did this two or three times. Peter was one of them that often asked this question. Am I the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, we know what he is writing about now. Jesus called a little child to him. He set them in the midst Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, he would drown in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. Not might come, they must come. And the greatest offense, obviously, was the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Just because the come does not mean that we get to skate by. There will be a judgment. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into the life uh, uh, lame or maimed rather than to have two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into a life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So, what does it say? What is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that every little child has a band of holy angels that protects them? 
think about the events in Uvalde this week. Did the angels fail? No. Offenses must come. What Jesus is teaching in this passage is that the innocence of children is of such importance that it should be protected as long as possible. We don't do that a lot today. I preached about this on Mother's Day. When they move from innocence. Now, we've just baptized a couple of children here a few weeks ago. They moved from innocence. Now, they still may be innocent about a lot of things and should be. But as far as their understanding of sin and their relationship with with God, they've moved from innocence to a point of accountability. And they have been responsible to that point of accountability. Am I making myself clear this morning? Do you understand that? A child that does not understand sin is not ready to be born again. An adult that does not understand sin is not ready to be born again. Why do we preach? So that conviction may fall and the grace of God may give them an understanding of their sin. This is not something necessarily that happens immediately. It takes the proclamation of the word of God time and time and time again. So Jesus is saying, Protect the innocence of children as long as possible because, he says, their angels always see the face of God, which means that there is an accountability of them through the angels. So the angels are concerned to protect, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 12 here in just a moment, believers, in this case Peter, and the little children in general not necessarily individually. So when you talk about guardian angels, you must remember that if this is biblical, and there's really no definitive biblical proof for this, if it is biblical, then it means at some point they leave because people die. Children get killed. Children die in accidents. So remember that. Think of it this way. If you're familiar with zone defenses in basketball or man-to-man defenses, or even in football for that matter, uh, where uh, if you're man-on-man, mano-a-mano, it's one one guy or one uh, woman on another as they play, Zone means that you cover your particular zone. And the thought here, and this is from Wayne Grudem, the thought here is that, the, that angels provide a zone type of overarching defense for believers and children. That does not mean that people can't die. 
So, angels are intelligent, but so are people. Well, I'm going to leave it to my guardian angel. That's really, really ignorant. God gave you gray matter. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Verse 5. Now, there was a great persecution that takes place in the first part of chapter 12 by Herod, <clears throat> Herod Antipas, or Herod Agrippa I, actually the, the son of Antipas, who was called a fox. And at the end of chapter 12, Herod is killed by God. The angels kill him. We'll talk about that later on. So, verse 5 says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And so, verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up and said, Arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie on your sandals, and get out of here. Don't wait. You don't need to preach. We need to leave. And so he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision, which is normal for any Jewish individual, Jewish male at that time. They go, um, verse 10, when they were, uh, they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed. Got, got to go. I've done my part. I'm out of here. Now, why did the angel show up? Well, the Lord dispatched the angel. Why did the Lord dispatch the angel? What does verse 5 say? What prompted God to dispatch the angel? What? Absolutely. Prayer. So the prayers of God's people, and we find out later on here that when Peter comes and knocks on the door... The damsel goes and opens the door, comes back. She slams the door in Peter's face. That can't happen. She goes back and tells those that are praying, Peter's at the door. No, hey, we're, we're praying. Don't bother us. Don't make up stuff. A very real Baptist church. We're doing the important thing. We're praying. Don't tell us about Peter being at the door. So, we see that in verse 15. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, it's her angel. And so this is a Jewish myth. That at this point in time was not corrected by scripture. And that basically the thought was that each individual... And, of course, they didn't think, the, the Jews thought that everyone, essentially, every Jew was going to heaven. So there was no salvation, there was no lost sinner or saved sinners. They were just those that were righteous going home to be with the Lord. So he's, this is, it's just his angel. Well, that can't be biblical because that's not what takes place here. It's found in the Bible, but it doesn't mean it's backed up by any doctrinal truth. 
So, we see that in verse 15. We've covered this a little bit here. This doesn't necessarily imply that there are individual guardian angels. And according to Jewish superstition, it was believed that his guardian could assume the form of Peter. That's why they say it's just his angel. So, are there guardian angels? Arguments can be made. However, there seems to be no definitive biblical proof for the existence of guardian angels. Are they there to, as Psalm 91 says, angels charge of thee? That has to do with Jesus Christ. So, the answer to what we see here is the prayer of God's people that prior to the completion of the New Testament, remember, when John finished Revelation 22, 21, the miracles that we see here were go are gone. We're gone. Do miracles take place today? Yes, they do. Not in the form of the New Testament, not in the form of the Old Testament, but they do take place. And they take place because of prayer. I hope I haven't confused you. I hope you understand that uh, at least from the 50,000 feet level. Next slide. Now, we've talked a lot about facts about angels. Okay, well, here's one of the things that they do, or four things, rather, that they do that, are, that apply to you and I. They do aid believers in worship. That's why I said we don't see them, but they're here. Luke 15.10, in that great chapter, it says that the angels rejoice over one sinner, or they are rejoicing in the presence of angels that repent. So they are glad, as God is glad, when a sinner repents and comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this goes on continually in heaven. Because across this great globe, thousands of individuals are saved, are brought into the family of God every day. So this is a continual, there is a continual rejoicing in heaven for repenting sinners. We won't turn to these passages this morning, but they are mediators of divine revelation. We talked a bit about Daniel last week. In fact, I think we went to Daniel 9 last week, so you can read Daniel 9. Luke 1 and 2, Gabriel appearing before Zacharias and also before Mary. Uh, and Galatians, turn with me there just because it's a single passage. Galatians chapter 3. Paul writing to the churches of Galatia, what purpose then, verse 19, does the law serve? 
It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hands of a mediator. So, gives us some understanding of the giving of the law, and we're going to look at Exodus here in just a moment, and we'll see how the angels are used there as well. Remember, we read last Sunday, Hebrews chapter 1. In fact, we read from this verse all the way through most of chapter 2. Angels are sent to minister to them who will be the heirs of salvation. That's you and I if we know the Lord as Savior. So how do they aid angel how do angels aid believers in worship? There's four things that we want to take a look at. The first thing is they watch or observe our behavior. So they're watching you this morning. Remember last week we talked about one of the names for angels is watchers? Well, that's what they do. They watch. They observe. They take note. First Corinthians, Paul said, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all. In other words, he's put us on display, apostles on display. As men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Not only are the holy angels watching us, but the demons are watching us. And we'll look in more, in more detail when we come to 2 Peter chapter 2. So they observe our behavior. It teaches them, secondly, when they watch the church. In Ephesians Chapter 3, Paul said, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Principalities and powers is found three or four times in the New Testament. That's another name for angels. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Angels. Learn from the teaching and preaching of the church, from our behavior in the church here on the Lord's Day, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, whenever we assemble, they learn the wisdom of God. Next slide, if you would. So, they watch us. They're watching us now. To learn of God's wisdom in the church so that they can, in turn can worship and praise his name. They do not understand redemption. You and I do. If we've been born again, if we've been brought, into, uh, brought to faith by the grace of God, we understand. We should understand it. Holy angels don't. That's what Peter's saying. They desire to look into redemption because they don't understand it. Now, they're highly intelligent, but that doesn't mean they're omniscient.
And so the angels watch the church to learn. Do we? Are you learning this morning? The angels desire to learn about redemption. Now here's another interesting thing. The third thing that they aid believers in worship in is they watch to see that believers in the family are submissive. Hmm. Paul covers this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, almost the entire chapter. I want to give you cut and paste version of what he's saying. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Skip down a few verses to verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. This has to do with hair length and all of these things. We're not going to go in. We, I preached through 1 Corinthians many years ago. But we're not going to go into detail here. But remember that she ought to have a symbol of authority over it. This is a reference to her willingness to submit to her husband who has a willingness to submit to Christ who has a willingness to submit to God the Father. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Nevertheless, the Lord, uh, nevertheless in the Lord, the woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Speaking of marriage. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. A few weeks ago we looked at Ephesians 5 and it talked about children obeying the Lord. That follows through this flow. So angels watch the family for the submissiveness of the family. They are submissive to the Trinity. And I'm sure that oftentimes they are confused when they look at our families and they say that we see that we are not submissive. They aid us in worship. They want to learn of the wisdom of God in salvation. And they watch the family for its submission to God's authority. Next slide. Now, they watch the preacher. Aren't you glad? All God's people said, you can say amen, that's okay. I hope that you're watching. I hope that you're listening. I hope that you're taking to heart, not because it's me, but because it's from the authority of God's Word. They watch the preacher. First Timothy 5 says, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, 
I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Not only is the church elect, but the angels, the good guys, the holy ones are elect. And we'll look at this in 2 Peter. You observe these things without preferring before one another, preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. In fact, let's go to 1 Timothy 5 because there's a couple of other verses that we probably ought to cover to give you an understanding of it. 1 Timothy 5. <clears throat> he talks in here about, in fact, that the next bullet is elders that rule well, and you'll look, look, look at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And this, of course, is speaking of uh, remuneration, of being paid. The scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. I mentioned at the outset of this message talking about the, the, uh, uh, the sexual abuse investigation in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so it was done independently by a third party, and as many witnesses as could be, uh, uh, interrogated or uh, deposed, they had all of this information. That's part of the reason that the, uh, the uh, report is, is so long. Well, here's the thing. Unfortunately, in a lot of churches, elders or preachers, there are others that would receive, within the congregation of the church that would, would certainly blame an elder or a preacher without confirming witnesses. This goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. We're not to do that. It was reiterated by Jesus in the Gospels, and it's reiterated again by Paul here in teaching Timothy. So don't, re don't receive that. He says, don't, don't receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. And then he says, you need to do this humbly, Timothy, because I'm charging you before the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without any partiality, doing nothing with partiality. Be as equitable as you possibly can, being human, being biased, being prejudiced. And so the angels are watching the preacher this morning. They watch preachers. They watch the church, they watch the family for its behavior in submitting to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the four things. Now let's wrap this up this morning. Next slide. The guide in evangelism, we just saw that in 1 Timothy 5. Elect angels never need to be saved. They've never sinned. Redemption is not required for them. And the fallen angels can't be sinned, can't be saved. They've done nothing but sin. There is no redemption for them. That's why Jesus said, you will go to a place that is being prepared for the devil and his angels. 
So the Lord Jesus is going to prepare a place for believers, and he's prepared a place for the devil and his angels. The holy angels, as we saw and we learned, 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 12, they are peering down, stooping down to peer into the reality of our redemption, into the reality of salvation. And they contemplate the work of, of salvation from without. They are observers. They are watchers. And they are spectators, not participants. We can see here, and I'm, we will not turn there this morning for time, but you can go to Acts 8, which talks about uh, um, Saul before he became Paul, and then Acts 10, which talks about the angel, uh, Acts 8 rather, which talks about Philip being guided to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then in Acts 10 where the angel is guided to Cornelius, uh, from Cornelius to Peter. That is the aid in evangelism. Now, angels are also God's executioners. And these are the holy angels. In Exodus 32, Israel had sinned. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. And about, we don't know how long, but many days into this, the people come to Aaron and they say, he's not coming down, God's killed him. We got to worship, so here, here's all our earrings, here's all our rings, here's all the gold that the Egyptians gave us. So we need to have something we can worship. So Aaron fashions, uh, or has fashioned rather, a golden calf. We know that story. And so when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, they're worshiping the golden calf. Very impatient people. And the Lord tells Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. There were many that were killed that day by the angel. Next slide. The angel was ready to protect God's people. But he was not there to protect them from the consequences of their own sin and their unfaithfulness to the covenant. This is a mighty, mighty teaching. Sometimes we wander through life with the thought that I'll just pretty much, I'll say that I'm saved and I can pretty much live the life the way I want to. Live my life the way I want to. It's my life. I'll live it the way I want to. Don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. And that applies for God. Well, we talked a bit about angels protecting believers, but here's the thing. They are not going to protect us from the consequences of our own sin. They are not going to protect us to, from our in unfaithfulness to God. They worship God. They don't make excuses for our sin. In 2 Kings chapter 19, 
great passage of scripture, another understanding of the angel, the executioner. And if you were to look at that, you would find that Sennacherib, who was the Assyrian king, had a mighty army that was arrayed against the children of Israel, against the nation of Judah. And there the king of Judah was praying that God would spare Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord answered his prayer. He didn't send an angel without the prayer. The Lord answered his prayer. And the Bible says that that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. One angel. Matthew 13, Jesus. Always good to see what Jesus would say. Matthew 13, 39, it's the parable of the sower. And Jesus makes it clear in that passage that at the end of the age, the harvesters, the angels, are going to go out and send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The angels gather the unsaved. Wow. And perform what needs to be performed at the end of the age. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now this was a passage of scripture that gave um, that gives atheists a great bit of heartburn. Gives a lot of people a great bit of heartburn. But let's turn to that. <clears throat> Christopher Hitchens in particular had a great deal of heartburn. <clears throat> Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified by his saints, to be admired of all those who believe, because their testimony among you was believed. One thing is clear. What brings joy to the angels? We started this passage, started looking at these uh, explanations, is Luke 15:10. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels when this takes place. Next slide. Bear with me here this morning, if you would. Here's the thing. They minister to us. They have a ministry to innocent children. But primarily, they minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. They announced his birth, Luke chapter 1. Gabriel announces Luke chapter 2, they announce and predict to the shepherds. 
Matthew chapter 2, they warned the Magi not to return to Jerusalem. They warned Joseph not to return to Jerusalem, but go to his hometown, which is Nazareth. Secondly, they ministered through his life. When Jesus was tempted, after the temptation took place, the angels came and ministered to him. Luke chapter 22, when Jesus was praying and his disciples were falling asleep, the Bible says the angels came and ministered to him. This is found in all four of the Gospels. They announced and they ministered at the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's risen. Come see the place why, that, where he lay. Why do you stand here, men of Galilee, looking into heaven? The same Jesus is coming again. Their primary purpose is to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will notice that they're absent at Calvary. They didn't confront the fallen angels as they attacked him in the garden and on the cross. But, next slide, they will come with him when he returns. We just saw that in 2 Thessalonians. And in Acts chapter 1, they remind him that he is coming again in this manner. Verse, uh, Matthew 25, Jesus taught the Olivet Discourse, and the Son of Man is coming in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And that will be seen. They will, they will take some form then. Now, if there are sextillions of angels, we don't know exactly how many, the Bible says innumerable, but if there are, horizon to horizon to horizon to horizon. Revelation chapter 5 talks about the preparation for the second coming. And then in Revelation 19 it says, And the armies in heaven, that's you and I that are believers, but it's also the angels, followed him on white horses. They minister to you and I. They minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. Last slide. Dr. Kim Riddlebarger has this to say about angels. Although regular access to the spiritual realm is barred to us until Jesus returns, Scripture reveals to us a real but invisible world inhabited by angels and demons. All we can say about this mysterious realm is what is revealed to us in Scripture. That's it. That's it. That's it. And then he defines it by saying, which is why speculation belong beyond the biblical data not only is foolish, but dangerous. Last Sunday as I began this message, I said at the outset three or four times, we are not to worship angels. And we are not to ask for angels to descend upon us in the presence of the Trinity. We pray to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ as moved by the Holy Spirit.
as the angel told John in Revelation chapter 21. Stand on your feet, John. See that you do not worship me. That is our prompting. Angels desire to strain their necks with bent over bodies, bent over spirits, they gaze into the wonder of the gospel of our, of our Savior. And this gospel provides hope for you and I as believers and also for them. As we go through heaven, through eternity, world without end, you and I will be learning yet again. And angels will too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We've not done it justice this morning, but we do ask, Lord, that you would abide and be with us in the remainder of the service. We pray, Father, that we would be reminded that there is an entire realm of creation that is invisible to us. And, Lord, how we strain. We always strain to be uh, to be disconcerted about these particular things that that take place. We pray, Father, that we would not be disturbed. We pray that this would cause us to become more dedicated to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your sweet will, your divine way in the remainder of this service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one verse of a hymn this morning, and we'll give you a time to respond today. There are many, many cults. The first thing they do is they say, well, Jesus can't be the same as God because I don't understand that, so he's got to be an angel. No. The Bible says he's God. And that's all we need. We may, we may not understand it, but that's what the Bible says. And so we'll give you an opportunity this morning. If you do not know the Lord as Savior, and he's the only one that can save, no angel can save you. Then as we sing, would you make your way out of the pew? We'll take you to a private prayer room and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, the Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church by a statement of faith, transfer of Letter may be obedience to the Lord in baptism. We encourage you to make that decision this morning as well. As a child of God, this is, I, I've given you a lot of information. Okay, it's a lot of information. So what do you do with it? Well, basically you just kind of, you, you squirrel it away in the back of your head and when somebody talks about it, hopefully the Spirit of God will bring it to your, to your remembrance. The takeaway here is, Worship God. Worship God. What number, brother? 